Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Good morning. It is the 18th of October. Happy Hump Day, everybody. Asia Pacific markets trading flat this morning as investors look to China, which releases its third quarter GDP numbers today. Joining me now to break down all the market action, Ryan Huang. Good morning. Happy hump day, Michelle. And to you. All right, Ryan, let's start with corporate earnings season. It is heating up. Some of the biggest names in in finance, in travel, health, defense are opening their books overnight. And I have to say, it's a mixed bag. In some cases, the profit numbers are coming in above expectations, but only because those expectations were so low to begin with. In other cases, mm. we're really seeing the impact of war in the Ukraine and lingering effects of the pandemic. Let's start with one of the icons of Wall Street, Goldman Sachs. So Goldman Sachs has the distinction of being the only big U.S. bank to have a positive performance in the third quarter of the year. It netted almost $2 billion U.S. dollars from July to September. That is still 36% less than a year earlier. When you take a look at Goldman Sachs earnings, Ryan, what stands out for you? Yeah, with Goldman Sachs, there are so many stories around it. So if you look at numbers first, you have profit dropping 33% to $2.058 billion. That is about $5.47 a share. Um, This is also in line with a drop of revenue down 1% to $11.82 billion. So it is struggling to some extent. Um, It is partly because of a pullback from retail banking as well as write downs on its real estate investments. So on those fronts, um, that is not doing so well. But it did post um, better than expected trading revenue. So it kind of gives an indication where expectations have been, you know, being lowered down in, set, in, this, in terms of the bar of expectations. So it has managed to clear those lowered expectations. But at the same time, if you really look at it in context, numbers are slowing down for Goldman Sachs. And a couple of things also plaguing it include how its CEO, David Solomon, has been busy DJing on the sidelines, so much so that it's gotten a lot of criticism from shareholders as well as haters, I guess, um, because the CEO is supposed to be busy trying to turn around a bank and they've been criticizing you know, him turning up at festivals, DJing. So he now is saying, I am not going to DJ anymore. So I guess maybe that's going to help Goldman to some extent. Last night, the DJ was uh, my boss. Can so you imagine save that? the bank now. <laughs> save the bank. Uh, Goldman Sachs' bottom line needs saving. It's taking a hit from its consumer banking business as well as from impairments on those property investments. Still, the bank's profits have come in ahead of expectations. But as mentioned, uh, the bar was set pretty low. Goldman Sachs shares fell 1.6% overnight. In fact, its stock is down about 10% since the beginning of the year. Now, Bank of America and BNY Mellon also reported earnings growth overnight. Um, BNY Mellon enjoyed a 10% surge in net interest revenue, while Bank of America's profits, wow, look at that, jumped 10%. What's behind this strong performance? Yeah, let's take a look at BOA first, or Bank of America. Uh, so you've got the second largest US bank getting a boost from higher interest income. So the higher rates environment continuing to help 
many banks. It's also reporting a strong performance from its Wall Street unit. So the trading side of things also doing pretty okay. Investment banking revenues are up. So a sign that the slump in deal making may be bottoming out and starting to tour. So that's good news for Bank of America at least. So this is with earnings up 3% from a year ago at 7.8 billion dollars and and you've got revenue uh, up to that same tune as well so all in pretty good for bank of america so taking a look at bny melon also pretty okay and you've got revenue at 4.37 billion dollars just a touch above the consensus forecast and you've got the earnings per share beating consensus estimates. So coming at 127 above estimates of 115. And it's being attributed to higher revenue, expense control, and a slightly lower tax rate. And the story behind BNY Mellon is really about a diversified business. So it's being described as a white moat business because mm. of the various income streams that help to offset others when you've got spots of weakness. So for BNY Mellon, you've got a pretty good set of numbers. Good set indeed. Let's dig into them. It's interesting to note that BNY's business model uh, is quite different from that of other big financial institutions in that it does not focus on lending, though it does make money from that as well. Instead, BNY Mellon holds customer securities for safekeeping. It says it is the world's largest custodian bank. At last count, it had more than 45 trillion US dollars worth of assets under its custody or administration. That's a huge amount of money, you might think, but it is less than the second quarter uh, of the year, that drop initially led investors to sell off BNY shares overnight. They were down more than 5% until BNY Mellon CEO reassured investors on an earnings call that led to a reversal for the stock. So BNY Mellon finished the session up nearly 4%. If we take a zoom out, Ryan, what is your overall take so far on the banking sector? I mean, what sort of mark would you give big banks that have reported so far? Yeah, it's a bit of a mixed bag. So on one hand, you've got a lowered bar when it comes to expectations. So if you look at what's been priced in, we were bracing for a harder time. Well, they've passed those expectations and beat them as well. So that's a good boost for at least some of these banks when it comes to share prices. Um, Looking at some of the provisions though, it does look like some of the banks are setting aside more allowances for loans, for example, to go sour. So that is a sign of caution that some of the banks are having around the potential correction in the economy or a soft landing or even a not so soft landing. So there are expectations that the US economy is going to go through a rough patch at least. Mm -hmm. So that's the takeaway I'm getting from some of the bank's numbers. Um, But on the flip side, like we've been talking about, there are pockets of strength and that's coming through some of the higher rates as well as signs that deal-making is starting to return to, I guess, normal levels. So there are some promising signs that some pockets of the banking sector are turning around. 
Some signs for confidence then. All right, let's turn from finance to travel. One of America's biggest carriers, United Airlines, opened its books overnight. We know that the airlines had a ban a second quarter because of an upsurge in holiday travel. It's got that to thank for it. How is the third quarter like, though? How has United Airlines been doing? It looks pretty okay. 20% higher. That's the third quarter profits for United. So this is on what it describes as strong and steady domestic demand and record international profits in some regions. And I suppose it's not a surprise. People are traveling this year. All the pent-up I guess angst um, and the revenge traveling is starting to pay off for the likes of United Airlines and they've been able to raise prices to some extent and benefit from them as well. Uh, I guess the question is what's going to happen from here? And Mm. here is where you've got a bit of a warning. First, you've got profits potentially being eroded by higher fuel costs. And not a surprise when you look at the headlines around the Middle East, potential conflict that could escalate. So that is the worry that um, fuel consumers like the transport industry will have to grapple with. And I suppose the question mark is going to be there as well around the demand for travel. Will people still want to travel as strongly as this year, especially when they've got more pressing priorities like the cost of living going up and maybe satisfying that travel bug for now. So maybe travel might start to take a back seat when it comes to priorities for many of these consumers. So look ahead means examining fourth quarter demand and still questions about how it's going to hold down those rising costs. Now, while United Airlines' third quarter earnings came in better than expected, UA shares are down 4.6% in after-hours trade. So investors clearly concerned that higher jet fuel prices and war in the Middle East could hurt UA's business during the last three months of the year. For our next earnings report, I'm going to bring the conversation back to Asia and a look at Keppel REIT. Its portfolio includes 12 prime commercial assets in four countries, Singapore, Australia, Korea and Japan. Here in Singapore, Keppel REIT properties include MBFC, One Raffles Key and Ocean Financial Centre. So what do you think at home? Is Keppel REIT's income up or down? Ryan knows. Yeah, so good news news on the income side it is up five percent for the first nine months and this is coming in at 172.6 million dollars so that's up from 164.4 million last year so partly due to a couple of things you've got higher rentals so not so great news for tenants who have had to cough up more for rent and also increased portfolio occupancy so i suppose at MBFC, you've got more people trying to set up shop and that's good news for the wider economy to some extent. So it is helping capital REIT. Yeah, look at that. Occupancy increased in 95.9% as of 30th September of this year. A number of companies in the REIT sector have seen their bottom lines hit by higher financing charges. Others are seeing their business hurt by lower occupancy rates as companies cut down on office space. What is your overall take on Keppel REIT and how it's weathering these trends? Yeah, you've got a couple of um, familiar challenges for the REIT industry that Capital REIT is also facing. And you point out higher financing costs. So higher rates means when they want to roll over the debt, they will have to borrow um, at higher 
costs or rates. And that's going to erode to some extent their margins as well. So that's going to put pressure on capital REITs as well. And utility costs are going up. So that is another headwind. So it will eat into the distributable income, which is lower for the first nine months for capital REIT. In fact, it's down 10.1% to $148.6 million. And I suppose a slight consolation is that there is a um, anniversary, anniversary payout for its 20th anniversary in 2026. So mm-hmm. the REIT announced back in 2002 that it will distribute $100 million over a five-year period to celebrate that 20th anniversary in three years' time. So it's offsetting a bit of the um, pressure coming from other fronts. So that is um, for this year coming into the tune of $15 million for the nine-month period. Look at that. That in appreciation to unit holders for their support and to celebrate Keppel Reed's 20th anniversary happens in 2026. Interesting point there. If we take a deeper dive into Keppel REIT's properties, we see that its occupancy rates in Singapore, Perth and Melbourne are pretty good. But over in Japan, in Tokyo, its property in Ginza is only at 75%. And in Sydney, its new Blue and William building is Barely above 40%. Though we did talk on this show recently about how it has secured a new anchor tenant. So let's zoom back out again. What do you think investors can expect from Keppel Reed um, on the distribution front? Yeah, so with distributions, it's possibly going to see some challenges when you talk about higher financing costs, utility costs. On those fronts, there are no clear signs of any turnaround soon. In fact, if you look at the latest data overnight from Wall Street in terms of US economy, there are more signs that we could see rates going higher for longer. And this is where we've got the latest data coming from the retail sales numbers in September coming in stronger than expected. It was at 0.7% for September, Mm -hmm. more than double the consensus forecast of 0.3%. And last week, we had pretty resilient manufacturing data for the US. So looking at just the recent data points, the Fed could actually keep rates higher for longer, which in turn could mean more headwinds for REITs, like capital REITs. So for distributable income, it could mean more pressure down the road. Strong retail numbers, strong manufacturing numbers as well, indicating the fight against inflation is far from over. And uh, you just heard there the possible impact for Keppel We'll have more earnings in a moment, Keppel Reed, that is. We'll have more earnings for you in just a moment. But to kick off up or down, I thought I'd choose a company whose earnings are not in the news today, and that is Apple. What do you think? Up or down for the iPhone maker? So we talked yesterday about how Apple's new iPhone sales are not doing as well in China uh, this year as it has been before. Apple CEO Tim Cook is not one to take things sitting down, we know. He's made a surprise visit to Chengdu where he cheered on gamers who are playing Honor of Kings at an event at an Apple store there. So I'm going to give Apple and Tim Cook an up for a marketing coup. I don't know if you're familiar with Honor of Kings, the game. I've heard of it before, but I haven't played it yet. It is a big thing in China. I think Apple, um, Tim Cook's, or Apple CEO Tim Cook going to China is a testament to how important China is. And I guess, in extension, the gaming sector, 
is going to be for Apple's fortunes, right? If you've got more people gaming on mobiles, uh, there is a good chance they'll use Apple's smartphones to game. So him going there, lending his support, his face, drumming up the buzz for Apple stuff is good news for Apple. Yeah, and I suppose also subtly sort of uh, foreshadowing the Apple headset, the VR headset that everybody is looking forward to that is going to be released next year. So back to Honor of Kings, I'm looking at the trailer now. It really is something. I mean, the graphics these days. This game was first developed and released in China. It's apparently hugely popular there. So, you know, good on Tim Cook for really tapping to the zeitgeist. This is a team sport. There are some 60 unique heroes that you can choose from, like Luna, who I'm looking at now. She's a free-spirited warrior, blessed by the moon, whose sword is burning as <laughs> is her heart. All right, before I start gaming, I think I, I need to plow on. Let's look at NVIDIA. Uh, up or down, the Biden administration, we know, is tightening rules to keep advanced chips out of China. What does that mean for NVIDIA? Yeah, as you expect, is not good news for NVIDIA. Tighter restrictions means it can't sell as much to China as much as it wanted. In fact, if you just cast your mind back to not too long ago, there were already restrictions in place around what type of chips that US companies can sell to China. Well, guess what? Joe Biden thought it's not enough and he tightened those restrictions further. So NVIDIA, in response to those other restrictions, designed some form of chips to be exportable to China, but now based on the new rules, it is not going to be able to cash in on that. So you've got some headwinds for US chip makers because that revenue stream is um, under threat. That's it. Uh, new rules mean bad news for NVIDIA and other chip makers. So shares of NVIDIA suffered their worst loss overnight in two months, falling nearly 5%, and they are down another 1% in after-hours trade. You're still with us here, up or down time, Johnson & Johnson, right? All right, it's going to be an up for me. In fact, Johnson & Johnson is so optimistic, it's lifted its full-year guidance mm. as it sees its pharma and medical devices business surge. And it's based on what appears to be the ability to pass on higher costs. So price hikes for some of its products is helping to raise its revenue. So that's helping Johnson & Johnson. MedTech looking strong, pharmaceutical sales as well, all contributing to the up at Johnson & Johnson. The company grossed more than $21 billion US dollars from July to September, better than expected. However, investors still sold off on the news. J&J shares dropped 1% overnight. Let's take a look at Lockheed Martin. All right, Lockheed Martin is the defense contract uh, contractor. And if you've been following the headlines, there are no shortage of news fueling or reflecting geopolitical tensions. So as you expect, it's going to be good news for the guys who make the weapons and defend stuff. So Lockheed Martin is an up for me as it projects that it is seeing sustained demand for its military equipment. Turned into solid quarter. It is one of the world's biggest defense contractors, Lockheed Martin, and its earnings have come in above expectations on both the top and bottom lines, by the way. So that is an up for investors. Aside from earnings, Lockheed Martin is also designed and built a NASA spacecraft that returned to Earth last month from a seven-year mission to collect carbon-rich asteroids called Bennu. That's what the NASA spacecraft is. So I'm going to give that an up. 
Our last entry this morning brings us back to China. How is Chinese EV maker BYD looking? Yeah, so it is looking good. And this is a bit of a reflection of how Chinese companies are stepping up as it sees its third quarter profit, expects its 3Q profit to double thanks to robust sales and effective cost control. And we've been talking about EV space in China for quite some time. It's quite competitive. We've got a lot of brands there, including Tesla. But BYD is more than able to hold its own. In fact, taking up more market share. So it's good news for BYD as it manages to, what it describes, leverage its improving brand influence, mm. continue to expand its skill advantage, and also its strong industrial chain-wide cost control capability. So quite a lot of, um, I guess, optimi- optimism uh, from BYD's outlook. A lot of great reasons for optimism there. Uh, BYD is reporting record sales, perhaps as high as 1.6 billion US dollars during a solid third quarter for the year. Analysts say BYD's strong performance is also underpinned by the fact that it makes its own batteries, as well as some of those semiconductor chips that go into its own vehicles. So that's an up for BYD. And listeners, you may want to recall that Warren Buffett owns part of BYD, although he has been reducing that stake. He's Ryan Huang. I'm Michelle Martin. Thank you for listening to Market Watch. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Michelle. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance.